With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. ...necessarily like the big, big names. I mean, obviously Tyrone Sampson was a big one, but we are seeing a, a ton of quality here. And I think that... You know, for this program, which was kind of banking on some some two-star kids and guys who were unrated um, and maybe, you know, punching above our weight, trying for kids who were going to have trouble qualifying. I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like right now we're on a little bit more stable ground with Dino Babers at the helm, at least, especially this cycle. Yeah, I mean, definitely who are not huge risks of, of not qualifying. Obviously, you never quite know until after signing day. Um, but you know, uh, with, with Samson, he's our, you know, we, we don't always get four star guys in, in, uh, this early in the cycle, especially, uh, so we'll see how, uh, we'll see how, uh, if people come after him, uh, we've talked about him. It seems like he's probably a pretty solid, um, the most recent guys of team Dixon running back out of Florida, which is always nice to go down there. And, and one of the interesting things through these first seven guys is it, it really, you know, there's always a question of how the recruiting map is done to look under a new coach, especially one that isn't from Syracuse, doesn't have those Syracuse ties, and it looks uh, very similar to the, the recruiting map that we've had consistently through uh, Schaefer and Marone. Uh, you got uh, a couple of New York guys, uh, a couple of Florida guys, Pennsylvania, a uh, little bit of Detroit area, um, and Washington, D.C. So it, it's, it's pretty much what you look for uh, in terms of Syracuse recruiting. Um, they're hitting all those areas hard, which is nice because it you know, it shows that that this staff has identified uh, identified like the areas that Syracuse can be competitive in, um, and getting a running back, a bigger running back too, uh, like Dixon, which is something that we know that Babers does like to have uh, from his Bowling Green days. Uh, getting him in the fold is nice, since it sounds like a trillion Williams will end up playing uh, defensive back for us. Yeah, I think Dixon. You know, he's about six foot, two hundred and ten pounds. I think in college you could expect him to bulk up to around two twenty or so, as long as he doesn't lose the speed. Um, I know Marquenzi Pierre was a little bit heavier. Uh, I think he was around two twenty already, um, and he's a bruiser. And he's a guy who I think you and I both pointed out after National Signing Day for twenty seventeen that uh, he'll probably see the field early. I know we have Chris Elmore kind of slated as a fullback type role. Um, I think that might be a short-term, and it, again, another thing you and I discussed, this might be a short-term thing for him, but nonetheless, it's good to have someone who can move the pile um, around goal line and have maybe something resembling a tank package. Um, again, the, the type of thing where, you know, it's unfortunate the Babers had to walk into not really having uh, the type of strong running back that he needed. And it's unfortunate, again, that it didn't take a couple of years for it to come to fruition. But I, I do feel like with him, you can see the very clear vision. And, and while, you know, Schaefer had a very clear vision on defense, I feel like the offensive identity and the, and the switching, and this is something you and I have talked about for years now, the, the fact that the offense has never really been that consistent with SU. The fact that this now is great because we get to see clearly – who's recruiting for what, and the players actually get to see a direct line to, well, this is how this player was used last year, and this is how I'm going to be used. Um, and whether they're looking at the Bowling Green tape or you know, maybe some of the old Baylor stuff um, back in the day, um, but more than that, you know, last year's SU team where Babers can directly say, hey, like, you know, nothing against Dante Strickland, nothing against Moneal, but, you know, hey, three-star recruit who's a little bit bigger of a back, we want to use these guys up the middle. We want to use them between the tackles. We think you're that guy who can better fit this need. And 
you know, that's just never a proposition that, that Schaefer could, was able to make on the offensive end. Uh, on the defensive end, he was able to sell those points pretty well. Um, and that's, again, something that Babers is able to do, I think, a little bit more on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I think that the, the longer that we have him here, the, the easier it will be to sell the vision. Um, I mean, they're already doing a pretty good job of it just based on putting up pretty crazy numbers in year one, uh, especially like the receiver position and, and the quarterback position with Eric Dungy when he was healthy. Um, so just the more, the more evidence... Literally just like breaking every single game passing record <laughs> against Pitts somehow. Also that. Um, and, you know, Mahoney's not the, like a fairly limited passer, and he was able to do that in a system against a pretty good bowl team. Um, albeit one with not a very poor defense this year. Arguably the but, worst uh, defense. Yeah, which is <laughs> weird coming from a Pat Narduzzi team. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's it'll be exciting just to see uh, the development of the offense and and just be able to point to you know specific performances and and hopefully an accumulation of wins as evidence uh, should only make this this go uh, go better. But I mean, right now, I think he's recruiting at you know some of the higher levels uh, of what like Morone was able to do, and he's doing it with four wins under his belt and uh, you know a lot of work to be done. So that's a good sign. Like it makes you think that if he starts to hit these you know reg- regular bowl appearances. Is uh, contending at the middle of the ACC type milestones, uh, he'll start to you know break through above where you know Barone was able to do in his best recruiting years. Agreed. Yeah, and I think that you know this hits on you know Baber's kind of belief without evidence mantra that he put together, um, you know, right when he got on campus, and and right now you know the fans are in, uh, despite like limited evidence. I mean, the Virginia Tech game I think was enough for a lot of us. I think the Pitt game, despite the fact that we lost was evidence uh, for a lot of us that this vision's coming together. Um, I think for the players, too, you know, it, it definitely, despite the lack of wins at the moment, I, I think that they're sold in. However, um, and this is just to play slight devil's advocate, the schedule is, is, is inhibitive, oh, sorry, prohibitive of winning too many games. Um, so obviously, you know, this year you have to potentially bank on another upset. Um to get to six and six in a bowl game. And and if you don't, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it does, if you get to two straight years of, of, of not getting to a bowl, let's say he goes five and seven and and we don't, you know, hit the APR lottery there. Then maybe, you know, you're nine and 15 through two seasons. Players may or may not see it coming together. I mean, it's easy to sell a concept after year one, after year two, you need to have hard evidence, and, and I think he'll have it. Um, but again, just playing devil, devil's advocate that, that things only get tougher from here unless the wins follow the, the quality recruiting. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true, too. Um, we've seen, you know, I think we saw that with Schaefer, uh, year one was pretty much a success, and then, you know, year two was rough, and you obviously you could hang your head on injuries, uh, but then year three is, is just as bad, and, and it becomes very hard to uh, continue on that path if you have diminishing returns. Uh, luckily, I don't think, uh, I think, I think Babers is, is a little, is better set up because, you know, expectations will going into last year, and I think most people understand that it's going to be a little bit of a process, so I think we know where we're going here. Um, it's just a matter of being able to build continuously and, and hopefully by year three we're in like a really good space where it looks like this is a team that can compete uh, below that top tier of the ACC and, and getting bowl games will be just very crucial because it's such a tangible thing to be able to point to. Um, it's like a, an easy like yes or no checkbox for a recruit to say, you know, did they do this one thing that I want to do? Um, and that's like the real like barometer of where a football team is, this, is deemed successful or, or not successful Obviously, it gets trickier once you're a bigger program, but for a Syracuse, like, I think at this point, Syracuse, it's very easy to say, did they go to a bowl last year? Yes. Okay, that was a good year. Did they not? No, that's, you know, not the type of year they want to have. So, uh, hopefully, in the next two years, that's something that we, we get back to and, and can be pointed to, and, and then we can really work from there. 100%. Yeah, I think, and again, this is, we've talked about the, if you can make three, if you can make three bowl games in four years, um, that's a type of success if you do it consistently that, you know, you can point to. Syracuse, 
made three out of four bowls from what was it 2010 through 2013 um and still wasn't really getting the benefit of the doubt um in in those situations i think now better conference more tangible identity um you make three out of four bowl games in in the you know acc atlantic division i think you have a little bit more of a selling point and and that's not to say that that scott shaver didn't but to say that to outsiders making three out of four bowl games in this conference in this division probably probably means a little bit more yeah, I mean, then it looks like you're kind of breaking through the the muddle of the of the the back end of the ACC Atlantic. Like we kind of know the top three schools, but the, the other four have not really been able to really chisel out a, an identity. Even NC State, you know, they've made some bowls recently and they kind of risen above the pack. But I don't think they got like separated out from the rest. So yeah. if you could, re- yeah, I, I think everyone just kind of lumps us, BC, uh, NC State, and Wake all in the same kind of group. Um, so to rise above those other ones and start to, you know, maybe fight for a position with Louisville uh, would be huge. I would agree. I mean, people forget, self-included, that, you know, in 2013 we finished third in the, uh, in the ACC Atlantic. So it is, it is very feasible. Yes, that ACC Atlantic did not have Louisville in it. Um, but, and don't get me wrong, Louisville is a very good program right now and a rising program, uh, I think, just across the board, athletics. But uh, they're still only recruiting at a top 35-ish level. Um, and so that makes SU recruiting with a quote unquote superior system and a top 45 to 50 level recruiting base. That's, that, that's a mark that you can make up on scheme alone versus, you know, obviously it takes a little bit more ingenuity to make up the gap between us and Florida state or us and Clemson. Yeah. And and Louisville's there coming off of, uh, well, like two thirds of a really good season where the Heisman winner, um, so I think there's a good chance that they take a leap next year because that's when they'll really pay off the, the year they just had. But right. if they can't really build on, on that with Lamar Jackson coming back, then, you know, there are question marks about their ceiling. And I'm not, I'm not, I think Louisville is, is a really good program, and I, and I think that they can be very competitive. And, and if there was a year that Florida State and Clemson were down at the same time, Louisville could definitely win the division uh, to win the ACC. Um, I don't know how much higher their ceiling is just because, you know, they're still, they're program in Kentucky, they're well run, and they, they have a lot of, uh, you know, good fan support and everything, but they're not like, you know, there's just a, a difference between being in Louisville or being in, like, Florida and whatnot, and I think uh, in terms of those, like, in uh, intrinsic uh, advantages, Louisville's probably closer to Syracuse than it is to a Florida State. Um, what they do have is really, really good management and uh, really good fan support and all those other things that, that you you build up over time, and that's where they've they've set themselves apart. So, um, I don't know that they're ever going to really break through and become some kind of like top of the ACC every year power. Um, but if if they don't uh, really make a jump this year, I, I I do wonder what happens with them. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think that they're an interesting case because they're. I'd say that they're probably Virginia Tech. They have Virginia Tech's resources with NC State's fan support, but with the access to talent that, I don't know, name a team. Uh, probably, the most, probably the access to talent that Wisconsin has. Maybe a little better, uh, just as they're closer to like Florida, but right. in that same ballpark, like with a bunch of those schools that are, are all like very dependent on Florida, and uh, grabbing a couple of fringe dives from like Georgia and South Carolina, but they don't have like a huge like Kentucky doesn't produce that many great players, and they are fighting UK, which recruits fairly well uh, as well. Um, so like they do have to work for it pretty hard, and they obviously are recruiting at a better level than like Syracuse. But if, if you have one downturn, you know Louisville could tumble. Where like people are complaining about Florida's recruiting. Florida's recruiting is never going to be below like the top twenty. Like, it's just not going to happen unless something just, like, horrific happens to that program. Where Louisville, like, if, if Louisville has a bad year, like, they could fall into the 60s. Just based on, and I know these rankings don't mean everything, but just, like, think about it yeah, well, on a grander scale. Player, like, yeah, the players that make up a, a 60th rated class versus the players that would make up a top 20 rated class. Yeah, so there's just a bigger range as to what they could do um, versus, like, a Florida or an LSU or a Georgia 
Like those schools are just they they're locked in on on so many players that grew up being fans of those schools. Louisville just doesn't have that advantage. They've really made up for it well by hiring well, um, even if it requires them to kind of uh, make some questionable decisions like taking Petrino back. But clearly, it's worked out for them. Um, and just fan support is so important. Uh, obviously, we we great about it, and and while well, still understanding why Syracuse slides behind, but uh, Louisville's is really good, and it doesn't have to be, but it is. So they've done some things incredibly right there with uh, getting people into Papa John's uh, Papa John Stadium or whatever it is. <laughs> the oven. I like that they have competing. Uh, Pizza brands essentially uh, endorsing their two big arenas. I know it's the KFC Yum Center, but like Yum still owns Pizza Hut. That's true. Which is, uh, yeah, I'm surprised that, uh, that Papa John hasn't hasn't decided to just like walk in, throw the kibosh on that whole thing. I mean, he did like apparently like quit the uh, quit the athletic administration task force or whatever it was a couple weeks ago, but that wasn't because of that. That was because he's angry Papa John, and <laughs> apparently Tom Urich didn't. Like send him a thank you card for the latest check or something. Oh boy. Uh, on that note, uh, a little bit of halftime before we get to our second half, which will probably be a little less Syracuse focused, but who knows? Um, so Dan, what have you been drinking for the last week? Uh, a lot of Carolina-based stuff since I was in I was in South Carolina last time we recorded, and then I made my way up to the like southern North Carolina area for a wedding, and then I made my way up to Winston Salem for my brother's graduation from Wake Forest. Uh, so just kind of span that entire uh, line. Uh, last time I brought up the the one claw and two claw from Westbrook, uh, I was drinking one of those while recording. I think it was the two claw, which I actually like more than the one claw. Um, it was a little heavier, but I thought it was also more drinkable, which is interesting. Uh, those were both rye, rye. One was a rye pale ale. One was a rye IPA. Uh, really interesting beers there. Um, I had uh, at the wedding they had blonde from foothills on tap yeah. which i'm not a huge blonde ale fan um but that one for whatever reason i was really enjoying that night and more than i remember enjoying it last time i had it uh really drinkable um so appreciated that uh also had uh the hopium ipa from foothills and a couple of those at dinner the other night uh really delicious ipa foothills does great work that's no surprise to anyone who's listened to this podcast before since both john and i get to the north carolina area on a somewhat regular basis um, and then I had a CLT IPA from Catawba, which was quite good, uh, at the airport, another local, uh, Charlotte area brewing company. And then I had a Sugar Creek white ale from Sugar Creek brewing company, which is somewhere in the Carolinas. I think also the Charlotte area, just a, a rock solid, uh, white, you know, Belgian style ale, which, uh, no complaints there. Yeah. That one's in Charlotte as well. So a lot of good Carolina stuff which was my goal for the week since I was going to be down there for, I was down there in that area for six days. So I wanted to make sure I tasted the local stuff. Yeah. Might as well uh, drink. Well, I know that's one of my, one of my main goals down there. I, uh, I'm very sad from last week's news that wicked weed was bought. Is that a, it becomes a huge bummer as far as like great, great craft beer down there. But alas, these things do happen. Yeah, and we've seen like mixed uh, results as to when InBev or some other big company comes and stoops them up. So hopefully they maintain their quality uh, like some others have. Versus like I know we've we've had other breweries that really fall off. Well, I think the problem with that one is that it becomes an hire <coughs> situation where they they bring them in because they're such great brewers, not because they really want to get into the sour game. And then they start you know creating these quote unquote craft breweries in different areas like new ones using the like skeleton crews of these better breweries Ooh. and then diluting, yeah that makes sense yeah and then diluting the market i mean they're already going to do it in miami which is highly unfortunate yeah but just so you know hopefully some of these stay uh some things stay sacred here agreed that's my soapbox support your local breweries you're supporting local economies um, and some great people for the most part. I've, I've rarely met a person in, in the beer industry that I don't like. So, yeah, I would keep buying local and know who makes your beer. Uh, craft is not good enough anymore. Um, independent would be the preferred term from everything I've heard from beer industry folks. Uh, anyway, soapbox over. <laughs> some other things that I've been drinking of late. Uh, grab some fresh Citraholic IPA from Beechwood. 
Uh, luckily, there were a couple of bottles in the back fridge. Last time I went over to Total Wine, uh, actually had some foothills myself this week. Had some uh, sexual chocolate, their uh, their coffee and chocolate stout. What else? Uh, there's a new uh, kind of English cask ale place uh, down in Torrance, not too far from here. That's called Yorkshire Square. Uh, and they have only cask ales, very English style for those who've been to London um, or other points in the United Kingdom. Uh, it's exactly what you would expect from a English style pub. Uh, had some early doors, their uh, ESB had Withering Stout. Also had the Tenant, their Pale Ale, um, all are pretty great. Definitely gonna hop down there soon again because the crowds are far less than a lot of the other South Bay breweries, which is great. Um, and then I also had from Clown Shoes, uh, Hephaestus. It's their uh, Texas exclusive um, coffee, uh, coffee barrel-aged porter, I want to say. A buddy of mine from uh, the Houston area sent it my way. So uh, that was another enjoyable one. And then this weekend, I'll probably be up in the mountains. So maybe find something cool there. Who knows? Very nice. Indeed, indeed. Um, before the show, Dan and I were talking about a fun topic uh, to potentially go through, and this shouldn't surprise anyone um, that's listened to the show for at least a few times. Talking through teams that we are probably rooting for, you know, in 2017. Some of these will, will be obvious based on you know the last four years of this. Uh, some of them maybe not as much. Um, they'll just be like kind of a one-off because of a certain player that we find exciting or a certain coach we find exciting, but. Uh, nonetheless, we're just going to go through a couple teams. Um, might as well start and you know, just go alphabetically. Um, American Athletic, there, there's an obvious one here. Uh, that's Tulane. There. Yeah, I mean, that's just an easy one for this podcast. Yeah, we are we are the, the leading non-Tulane Tulane podcast on the internet. Um, Tulane decided to put Wavy the Wave in the middle of the field now as well, which makes them uh, even better than they were before somehow. They, they just, they, more than most programs, n- want, just know how to make their fans happy. And by their fans, I mean me and John. Like, I, I don't know any, you know, there are a handful of Tulane fans that like to tweet at us when we bring them up, which is fairly often. Um, Shout out but, to Fear the Wave. Yes. Uh, but we, we speak about Wavy the Wave pretty much every time we speak about Tulane, and he continues to gain traction in the Tulane logo community. So I appreciate that. Um, versus UConn, which refuses to put the sad, like, 1950s UConn dog in the middle of their field. I, I continue, and I, I feel bad that I haven't done this as a as a genetic cutter. Um, I meant to buy that hat uh, that he's on, and I will wear that proudly as to represent my home state, if not the school that I rooted against openly, and I haven't done it yet. So I, I promised to make that happen at some point for all of the all the UConn fans listening to the Syracuse podcast for some reason. Yeah, I... Uh... Since I'm going to be in New Orleans for the LSU game, I'm definitely going to get try to get over to the Tulane student store and get myself something Wavy the Wave related. I will have to Venmo you for something. Yeah, because uh, I think that needs to happen at this point. Yeah, it's just unfair that, that we haven't made this happen, made this official yet. We really need, like, I wish, I wish Otto could be doing something similarly goofy that I would be, like, as attached to. I mean, I love Otto, but... He just doesn't have, like, that wacky, like, I'm an anthropomorphic thing. <laughs> he's not a weird enough shape. Like, Otto, like, he's an orange, but, like, he's still, he's a circle. Like, Wavy is a, is a, is water being formed into this, like, weird thing. With fists. <laughs> <coughs> With fists. I just, I want to, I, I'm, I'm going to make it my goal before the end of this year, and I'll probably put this up on the comeback because nobody on the blog for noons wants to hear about this anymore um, i'm gonna try to see if i can find the creator of wavy the wave oh my god a q a would be so good uh, yeah i'm gonna interview them that's for sure um anyway so tulane for sure um i don't really know how successful they're gonna be this year but willie fritz seems like he knows what he's doing um and, and i'd like to see another like option style team succeed in the upper echelons of college football. There aren't a ton, obviously. Uh, one of their Tulane's division mates being one of them, uh, Navy. But, yeah, I, I'd like to see what they can do this year. Um, another team like I'm just casually rooting for because they're fun, Houston. Um, 
just because I'd, I'd like to see the Big 12 burn, and I think Houston succeeding would help uh, facilitate that. Um, nobody else in the East, to be honest. Like, South Florida's probably going to... I They're my pick to, to get their group of fives bid in the uh, the access balls, but I'm not, like, inherently rooting for any of those teams. Yeah, I think the most fun one in the East, and, and it's probably not... I probably shouldn't root for them because they could potentially do some damage to Syracuse being local. Um Temple was has been a lot of fun for years. Uh, obviously, Matt Rule is off to try to salvage Baylor's soul. Um, like but Jeff that. Collins, there, yeah, seriously, in light of today's news, uh, Jeff Collins, their new coach who comes from Florida, where he was DC, um, was kind of like had a lot of the same qualities that we all liked from Scott Schaefer when he was DC in terms of just being super fiery. Uh, he did a lot of like fun like recruiting stuff and. He just seems like a really fun personality, uh, so I, I do kind of hope that he... Uh, I wouldn't mind them continuing to be good, um, despite the fact that they could, you know, siphon some recruits from Syracuse, potentially, and they have with rules, so uh, that's, like, a counterproductive one, but, like, I can't really help it. Like, uh, having Temple be decent is actually kind of cool, I think. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I mean, I know other podcasts have talked about this lately, but I, I would have... I, I would love to live in the alternate reality in which Temple is in the... Big Ten, and Rutgers is sitting around in the American Athletic right now? Yeah. Uh, and definitely would prefer the Owls over, over them. Agreed, agreed. Um, we're going to breeze right by the ACC because obviously any of these teams but us doing well is counterproductive. Um, screw all of them. Big 12. Um, this podcast has noted its affinity for uh, private schools playing football, Baylor accepted. So uh, we're rooting for TCU here, unless something's changed in your mind, Dan. No, I've always kind of liked TCU. Uh, I like that they kind of just thrust themselves into Power Five football and, and acquitted really well. Um, I also have like kind of a, a weird affinity for Kansas State, even though I don't really like watching them play. I, I kind of appreciate Bill Snyder otherwise. I hate watching. And. Them. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're really boring, but I like kind of like when they're decent, uh, just because it doesn't seem like it should matter or make sense. Um, and as far as like uh, as far as power programs go, I think Oklahoma's among, among the more fun ones, uh, but I don't know that rooting for the best team of the conference to continue to be the best team of the conference is what we're trying to do here. Yeah, usually not. I mean, that said, I'm not opposed to it if, it, if they're a fun enough brand. Your point on K-State does make a lot of sense. Usually if K-State is doing really well in the Big 12, that means something has gone terribly wrong for Oklahoma, Texas, or both. So automatically that's sort of fun. Um, college football is a little bit more fun when Texas is good. They're one of those types of programs where uh, their fans are loud, their fans are boisterous, they are passionate. Um, they're also passionate when they're miserable, though. Um, I'd like to see those kind of Texas OU battles help decide the Big 12, but I'm also cool with OK State doing whatever the hell they want to do. They're, uh, they're a consistent brand of, of hitting, you know, 8 to 10 wins. And I think this year they have a shot to jump up. Um, I actually, and I was joking about this on Twitter like a month ago, that uh, what we're going to see probably is OK State's going to be Oklahoma in Bedlam, and then Bedlam 2, Electric Boogaloo, at Jerry World for the Big 12 title, Oklahoma's going to knock Oklahoma State out of the uh, playoff and effectively knock the Big 12 out of the playoff as well. Big, Big 12... Uh, just going to keep Big 12 in. Eating, each other, eating itself is, is always funny to me, so I, I'm always for that. Yeah, I, I feel like that's very likely. I want TCU to do well. Again, I, I like when teams have a unique brand, and I feel like Frogs is not a thing that, that most people would buy into, but... I've been to the campus. It's really cool. The stadium's nice. They have a, several large frog statues. And they have a, a weird statue of uh, Spike, the or Super Frog, whatever the hell he is, um, sitting on a bench on campus. It's just like strange because I don't. I guess you would ever have like a large Otto sitting on a bench, but whatever. I think I think they should not sitting on the kissing bench, but like leaving just enough room for two people. <laughs> <laughs> so every time a couple goes there, you, like you have to be up next to that's Otto. Like that'd be kind of great. Yeah, I, I'd be a big fan of that. <laughs> just like Otto awkwardly looking over his shoulder. No, I, I buy into the kissing bench. I uh, I know my wife and I do have a photo from when we graduated. I'm pretty sure everyone. I mean, I'm uh, anyone who any Syracuse double does. I'm pretty sure. It's just one of those things. 
We actually couldn't get another picture of it because A, I would have had to ask a current undergrad when I was on campus and I didn't want to do that. Um, and there was also like a lot of like snow and crap, like mud around it when we went in March. <laughs> so I just like didn't want to deal with that. But maybe, maybe next time, SU. Um, the Big Ten. Now, there's one team that I always root for and I know I shouldn't based on a certain result in 2012. But I do always root for Northwestern. I think it's always fun when Northwestern throws things into chaos. Um, I also oddly root for Indiana football sometimes, despite the fact that I hate Indiana basketball, if that makes sense. I mean, Indiana football can be kind of fun sometimes. Um, Northwestern, like, I, we generally kind of jive on the, on the private school thing. I think they... I don't know. I think we like Northwestern fans have gotten kind of annoying recently, uh, mostly because of their basketball team being good for once. Um, I don't know if that's fair. Uh, the school I always root for in the Big Ten, um, even though it kind of goes against how I normally do things, but because I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, I always have a kind of a soft spot for Wisconsin. Um, that's fair. And they're they're likable. They're like generally, you know, it's a lot more fun than rooting for like Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or one of those. Um, but they're also competitive, uh, and Camp Randall seems like a blast, and I can't wait to go there uh, in a couple of years. Same. Um, and then uh, I, I think for, for in terms of the coach, uh, I'm really interested to see what Jeff Brown does at Purdue. I think that could be a lot of fun. Well, Purdue being good, like I mean, the Big Ten West is just a really fun like petri dish of like what happens when you combine like programs that should be good, high Illinois, like programs that should not be good, high Northwestern. Like, programs that should not be as good as they are, high Wisconsin. Like, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of factors at play, and yet Purdue could totally burn them all. Like, Illinois should be really good. They're not, because they've just always been trash. Um, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to that division more than the other one, because the other one seems destined to be a three-team race forever, with Michigan State popping up occasionally, while the Big Ten West could literally be, within a year or two, anyone's game if Brom kind of catches on to Purdue. Yeah, and it's still to see Purdue going back to, like, that high-flying, high like, air-it-out type of offense that they, you know, they never were, like, dominant with it, but they that that's kind of from their heyday in, turn, in the 90s and late 80s. The Drew Brees teams were, were, were road yeah, they were, teams. They were, they were decent. They were good. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't, like, national championship contenders, but they were they were fun squads, and they won, won a bunch of games, and, you know, it's not like Purdue's done much since then, so might as well get back to your roots. Agreed. Um... Somewhere, Syracuse fans like, and yeah, and Syracuse should run the freeze option. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. I mean, they would. Um, Conference USA, uh, my pick. I have a couple picks here. Um, Old Dominion, uh, just for obvious reasons, uh, I think. Is Bobby Wilder still the head coach? I think he is. Uh, let me check. Bobby Wilder. What you got, Google machine? He is. Yeah, Bobby Wilder just seems fun. Old Dominion seems fun. The fact that they've been able to start up a program and be off and running in Conference USA this quickly uh, is inspiring to a lot of people um, who want to start a program from scratch. Um, obviously, being in a very strong recruiting area like Virginia helps. Um, I don't mind Marshall. I remember like some of my earlier memories of like college football and like Syracuse stuff and Army. Um, being a New York kid was... Uh, watching Marshall just like light teams up in the late nineties. Um, when they first got to, you know, division one, well, division one, a at the time. Um, and they were killing teams in the Mac. Uh, that was always a lot of fun. I remember that Randy Moss team, Chad Pennington and all that. Um, and then obviously like every other college football fan, I'm rooting for UAB this year. Um, because very curious to see what the Blazers can do. Um, coming back after a very stupid two year absence from college football. Yeah, I mean, UAB is the easy one. Um, I kind of forgot they were back this year already, but hopefully they hit the ground running. I know they're recruiting like quite well uh, for what they are, considering like a bunch of people wanted to jump on the chance to like rebuild the program that really should have never gone away. Um, I also like remember Marshall from back in the day. I think Brian Left was being carried off the field uh, when he could, couldn't walk, but was throwing bowl game touchdowns. I believe uh, it was one of my earlier college football memories. I do remember from that. like random teams. Um, I always, ODU is a fun one. I like teams that kind of pop up and get added to, to the FBS, and they've really done quite well uh, in the first couple of years. And then uh, Western Kentucky, obviously, Brom, we just talked about, is off to Purdue. Um, I'm super interested to see what Mike Sanford does. I thought he was one of the more intriguing young coaches 
I thought that was a really good hire by them to replace Brom. Um, and they just play such a fun brand. I, I don't know that it'll be exactly the same with Sanford there, but I think he'll probably want to continue uh, that type of offense just because it's kind of what they, they've become known for. Um, and if so, like they're just so much fun to watch. Remember when Western Kentucky was garbage at football? Yeah, they were like one of the worst teams in the country. I think I used to like start uh, NCAA dynasties with them because I used to like to try to find the worst teams, and they were always like in that running. Savvy. I would always pick Syracuse because at the time they were one of the worst teams. I started doing that <laughs> when I went there, but before that, I would either I would I would pick like them or like San Jose State was often like among the worst or uh, a couple others like North Texas, which I think Sean did a whole series about back in like years ago on the site. I do. Right um, yeah, so those were always the ones I would go after. I would do, like, Army, though, because that would be, like, too frustrating. Yeah, Army would be a fun one, but also a, a difficult one for sure. Um, I always root for Army, just out of habit from when I was a kid, and I used to go to games. Uh, that's really it from the Independence. BYU is going to win eight games, whatever. Notre Dame, hope you lose everything ever. Uh, <laughs> UMass, just move down to FCS, no one cares. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm an independent. I didn't think to mention them before, but I, I do have a Navy family connection, so I am uh, obliged to root for them. Although I did think, like, deep down, I, I did kind of think it was cool what Army won last year, although I, I hope the Navy goes back to beating them every year. Uh, I know you grew up rooting for Army, so I did. We, we do not see eye to eye on that one. Though I do actually have more family ties to Navy. But I've you- been to a lot of Army-Navy games, and they, they are very fun. I enjoy them. I've never been to an Army-Navy game, but I used to go to West Point, like, at least every, well, either every year or every other year, um, when my dad was in the NYPD, um, and then it used to be, like, a game that they'd have, like, the FBI and NYPD would get, like, discount, like, family tickets and stuff, so it'd be, like, a big tailgate thing, it was, I mean, it was, like, some of my, well, my most formative, like, college football memories were that, and uh, I know I talk about it on the site a bunch that... You know, that tailgate scene and the, and the fan scene there was actually pretty cool considering, like, you know, West Point's a smaller place. Um, obviously, like, Army's a different type of fan base. But, yeah, definitely a lot of fun there. So I, I do always root for the Black Knights. Um, the Mac. Um, oddly, I'm, I'm riding with Eastern Michigan this year. I, and I want Toledo to lose every game. Um, I don't know. I don't really feel very strongly positively towards any of these teams. Um, Western Michigan, I'm, I'm, I don't know how I feel about them with Tim Lester there. Like, I still think it's weird that he got that job. Um, I guess it'll be kind of, I mean, he was always nice to, like, the press and stuff. So I guess, like, there are worst, worst people to root for with Syracuse connections. But I still think it's strange that they just went 13-1 and and hired Tim Lester to be the Nets head coach. But, right. you know, here we are. Um, I'm fine with Eastern continuing their resurgence they're another one of those teams that have been so garbage for so long, and then they literally made their field look like a trash can spread out. Uh, and now, they, uh, now they've now they bounced to mediocrity, which is a, a huge step up for them. So uh, seeing them stay competitive would be cool. Um, but yeah, I don't have like a lot of other feelings about a lot of these teams. Uh, not Buffalo. I won't, root it, I won't root for Buffalo ever because they're so thirsty, and I, I can't oblige that. I hate Akron, and I hate Toledo for that game in 2011. And just how, like... Just how, like, bitter they were about the whole thing. Yeah, thank God we weren't, uh, uh, we weren't, I'm like, we weren't the, uh, Central Michigan to, like, Toledo's Oklahoma State, because they would have never, like, I feel like that's, like, the only other one, like, Oklahoma State just being so salty about that game, and, like, they were robbed, and Toledo was robbed, to be honest, but still, like, the game went the way it did, sorry, like, get over it, Jesus. We actually had, like, a weird... I feel like us and Mac fan bases just, like, don't really get along. There's just a lot of, like, anger and bitterness. Like, you know, like, we lost to Miami, Ohio that time. It was really stupid. Then we also beat Miami, Ohio. Like, that was fine. Like, we lost to Akron that time. That was stupid. But we also beat Akron later on. Buffalo. Buffalo is just the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then, like, Central Michigan. Like, obviously, the dirty hit on Dungy doesn't help. There's just a lot of like I like admittedly like when I wrote that preview for them last week I was just like annoyed about it and when we get to the game this year I'm gonna be super annoyed about it all week. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I just don't like that. We do have like, a strange history with a lot of these. Obviously, we poached Bowling Green's coach, so I'm sure they, I mean, they probably just kind of understand, what, understand it at this point. But we were super cool about it when I talked to them. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of know where you are at that point. Right. Maybe, uh, so I guess we're, we're all rooting for Ohio, then. Yeah, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> Frank Solich. Or Bowling Green. I don't have a problem with Frank Solich. Um, yes, Ohio has a, a journalism school, but not one that uh, talks too much shit about, like, rankings or anything, so. Yeah. Go Bobcats. <laughs> All right, down in the Mountain West. Um, I actually think that the Mountain Division is going to be one of the most fun in football this year. I think that there's five teams that could win it. Um, I'm probably going to write an article about how good this division is and how much of a blast it's going to be to watch. I mean, five teams in this division last year scored at least 439 points. Um, so that's going to be great. Um, I think Colorado State wins it this year. I'd be fine with any of the five teams, so like everybody but Utah State winning. I don't really care if Utah State wins. I'm just hedging my bets on the five teams I think are better than them. Um, as I pointed out before, I do have some family ties to San Diego State, so I do always root for the Aztecs. Um, they should be really good again because a, a team located in San Diego and where San Diego State is should always be good. Um, and two, they're, everybody else in that division sucks. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I like a lot of these teams. There are a lot of them are just a lot of fun. Uh, Wyoming just scores so many points and gives up so many points, and we're just a blast to watch last year. last year. Yeah, and they give up four seventy seven, and they won a lot of games. That means they won a lot of close games. So they they're a blast. Um, obviously, Boise. Like I don't know if people like are tired of them, but they're fun almost all the time. Um, and then the rest, like. San Diego State is usually a pretty interesting team. They scored a ton of points, too, even though they play a completely different style uh, than Wyoming. But then uh, Hawaii, like, I'm all for Hawaii being good enough to keep their program around. Uh, although, I don't know how sustainable uh, giving up 522 points uh, and, what is this, like, 126 more points than they scored and still going 7-7. Seven seven. Like, I don't know how that's going to work uh, forever, but hopefully Nick Rolovich continues to do good things down, uh, over there and, and they can keep their program afloat because I know that's a constant concern. Well, they always schedule like trash non-conference play, which good for them. Um, they always take advantage of the 13th game rule. So that gives them an extra opportunity to win six games. Um, so yeah, Hawaii, go for it. You can, you can beat UMass by 40 every time, every week if you want. And I'll probably watch it. And you know, and and Hawaii obviously, like if they're playing at home, they give you an extra time slot every week, which is fun. And if for those of us who don't sleep on Saturdays and then just sleep till two p.m. on Sunday uh, or one p.m. whenever that NFL game start, and then UNLV, I think we talked about a fair amount. Um, just a very interesting team that is is trying new things and made a, a an interesting coaching hire. So uh, they are making strides as they were really really bad like two years ago, and now they are sneakily kind of competitive and they have the Raiders coming to town which brings them a new stadium so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, continue to, to move up we've, we've talked about them at length before so I don't want to rehash all that but a lot of very interesting teams in the Mountain West a lot of uh, not a ton that like I won't root for because they they almost all like have some interesting quirk about them agreed agreed um Pac-12 um fuck Oregon um, I don't really care about Cal. Oregon State's kind of boring. Um, and then the Arizona schools I don't really have any opinion on. But everybody else I'm cool with. Like, I mean, it's not like popular to be like a bandwagon USC fan. But like, as I've mentioned here before, like I used to watch the USC games like late night, like when I was a kid. Um, you know, back in the the golden era of the the Pete Carroll days and all that. Um, since then, I've married into a UCLA-affiliated family, so I don't mention my previous uh, USC fandom much, if at all. Um, I'm, I do like when at least one of those teams, not both of them, are good. Uh, the Bruins have one of the best, well, at least until Adidas destroy their uniforms, um, have one of the best uniforms in college football. Um, and then over in the north, I usually roll with a card. Uh, that said, um, Washington State's a lot of fun and pirate leech is, is is a gift that keeps on giving and chris peterson's pretty cool at washington and i like what he's been able to do in a very short amount of time um so yeah to sum up there are a very small amount of teams that you could really root against in this conference yeah i mean then the mountain west like they really are kind of the big brother version of the mountain west um 
Uh, Washington State is just so much fun. I ride with Mike Leach all the time. I'm sure at some point he's going to say something that is completely undefensible, and I will drop off of that opinion really quick. But for now, I enjoy him. Uh, Stanford, same thing. Like we talked about private schools, they are just so unique, and uh, I appreciate uh, kind of their whole their whole thing. Yeah, and they're fun. I mean, they've been a fun team the last couple of years. I don't know how like, a lot of that's Christian McCaffrey, so we'll see how they do post them. Uh, but you know, they're still uh, a fun. They're, it's fun that they're they're as good as they are, and it's right. impressive that they've maintained. Um, I'm not as anti Oregon as John is, but uh, and I do think that they can be fun. Although now they're a whole different thing with Billy Taggart in there. Interested to see how he does um, down in the south. Like I think Colorado was a blast, being as good as it was last. Last year, um, I don't know that they will maintain uh, through this season, especially with USC, which turned emerge as a total juggernaut. Um, I grew up a USC hater because I was a Notre Dame fan. Uh, I now don't care at all about Notre Dame. So I actually kind of think if a good USC is a, a really good thing for college football. Um, and I think, like last year, uh, they became really fun to watch. So. Um, they're one of those teams I, I would love to see them back in like the true national picture as a lot are projecting them to be. And uh, Utah, I always have like a weird like affinity for Utah. I, th- I feel like every time I see a game at Rice Eccles, like it looks like it's just an absolute blast. And it was an absolute blast last year, even though yeah, lost, see, I've never seen people nicer about losing in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, they always seem like a, a fun. Uh, it seems like a fun atmosphere that people don't really talk about, and I always appreciate that. It's definitely up there. I mean, as far as, like, in-game... And I've been to a decent amount of stadiums. Uh, as far as in-game goes, like, you're not going to get better than the, like, picturesque setting at the Rose Bowl, but I would say that the seating arrangement and the act of actually watching a game at the Rose Bowl is very different than, like, the the pageantry around the game itself when you're at the Rose Bowl game. Um Obviously, it's an old stadium. They haven't really renovated the seating situation. They're not really made for people that are taller than, like, 5'6". It's definitely squeezed in quite a bit. You're in a bowl, so just like at USC, which is also a bit of one at uh, LA Coliseum, it's definitely not the most comfortable seating arrangement, but still a good one. Um, I would say that I enjoy watching... I enjoyed watching games at Stanford and Utah more than I do at the Coliseum and Rose Bowl, despite the fact that I love the history of the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl. Well, yes, the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think there are very different atmospheres and very you're like you're getting different experiences with with those. Like, but uh, I mean, that's the nice thing about college football is that every game day brings a different little thing, which is always fun. Yeah, and and I would also caveat that going to a U- UCLA game at the Rose Bowl is very different than going to the Rose Bowl game. Um, UCLA's fans are notoriously fickle, um, just like most West Coast fans of anything. Um, the fan support among students is tough to cultivate because you have to take a bus from nowhere near campus, well, to nowhere near campus, up in Pasadena. Um, USC, both, to be honest, both venues can be really good for the right game. I've been to a UCLA-Stanford game, and I've been to a USC-Stanford game, the one that Coach O upset Stanford at a few years back. I was at that game. Um, those types of atmospheres are fun because, I mean, the, Cal- the inter-California rivalries are always a good time. Um, but, yeah, I would say that still for me, like, one of the coolest, probably the coolest football game I've ever been to, despite the final result, was the Rose Bowl a few years ago with uh, Florida State and Oregon. I'm just disappointed at realizing that because UCLA has to bus students over, too. Why has UConn not been calling Retro Field the Rose Bowl of the East this whole time? <laughs> oh, because the Yale Bowl would probably sue them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we could wrap this up shortly. Um, over in the SEC, I don't really like any of these teams. Uh, that said, I usually just root for Vandy out of private school habit. Um, and LSU I'm usually pretty cool with. Uh Obviously, not when Syracuse faces them, but in general, LSU's cool scene. Yeah, LSU definitely in the, in the West. Uh, in the East, I am congratulated obligated to root for the South Carolina Gamecocks. So, go Cox. Fair enough. Um, and then lastly, Sunbelt. A lot of fun down here, too. I think all of us as college football fans will forever be in debt to Appalachian State for what they did to Michigan. 
Um, beyond that, I like these goofy little upstart programs. Like, Troy's always entertained me. Arkansas State entertains me. Fun Row was great for those couple years. Um, and then they were dreadful. And now they're just <laughs> trash. Um, Georgia, Georgia Southern could be a killing machine, and I, I, would, I would endorse that fully. And I'm also really excited to see what Georgia State can become um, now that they have their own field and, and kind of an expanded presence in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I really enjoy watching Arkansas State. I really enjoy watching good UL Lafayette teams, and I also enjoy that UL Lafayette does the same bowl every year, and their fans make it seem like the Super Bowl slash Mardi Gras. Um, South Alabama, I feel like, pops up every so often, has a big win. All these teams like pop up and like they'll have like a really nice year, and then they'll knock someone off big. Except New um, Mexico usually, State. Except for New Mexico State, and Texas State hasn't been around long enough. And then I, I really enjoy uh, the Georgia Southern Georgia State rivalry because. Holy crap, they don't like each other. And it's really, really funny. <laughs> I mean, it's just this, like, big brother, little brother, like, dynamic. That, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like the old school Georgia Southern's been a football, thing, a football team for a long time, and they've, they've just worked their way up the ranks, and they've just gone division to division, and they've been successful everywhere that they've been. And then Georgia State popped up out of nowhere, just, like, just literally burst on the scene, was really bad, and then was, like, kind of good two years ago, and then beat Georgia Southern, which was... Added like a huge upset, and they both have the same initials. And there's this whole thing where if you use the wrong GS versus GSU, they get mad at you on Twitter. I appreciate all of it. It's so it's so random and and just so college football, and I love it. Agreed, agreed. Um, so I know we're kind of going into overtime for everybody, uh, self included. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap us on the, uh, the the Syracuse relevant topic of the Georgia Southern Georgia State rivalry. Oh, uh, when we do our when we do our Sunbelt episode, I'll, I'll probably have to rehash some of it. Just like I had a, a whole speaking to from from Sunbelt Twitter over uh, getting the right GS versus GSU once, and it was really funny. I always just use to be safe. I always use G State and Gasso. Just to, that, that's probably easier. Yeah, to, just to although G- Gasso sounds like a Bill Simmons friend that he talks about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could ask him about the Celtics tonight. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Anyway, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. Of course. Hopefully I will be slightly more awake next week when I've been back in New York for a while. All good, all good. Uh, for everyone that's listening, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you for tuning in to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange Lacrosse this weekend. Go Orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.